welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and I'm excited to talk to our guest today, and I know you're going to love her. Equally adept at conducting symphony, opera, and ballet, Judith Yan's career has taken her internationally, conducting for major companies in Europe, Asia, Australia, and North America. She has held staff conductor positions at San Francisco Opera, Canadian Opera Company, and the National Ballet of Canada. Her recent debuts were celebrated with critical acclaim. While with the San Francisco Opera, she served as the staff conductor, assistant to maestro Sir Donald Runnicles. Prior to San Francisco, she served as the first conductor in residence at the Canadian Opera Company, a position created for her by the late maestro Richard Bradshaw. As a conductor of symphony, she served as the artistic director of the Guelph Symphony Orchestra for eight seasons, where she expanded the orchestra's symphonic and operatic repertoire. With As a guest conductor, she has collaborated with orchestras such as the Auckland Philharmonia in New Zealand, Hong Kong Philharmonic, Manitoba Chamber Orchestra, and Saskatoon Symphony. As a conductor of ballet, she has conducted over 90 performances at the Four Seasons Centre for the National Ballet of Canada, working with the world's foremost choreographers. She has been a frequent guest conductor with the West Australian Ballet, Hong Kong Ballet, and Korean National Ballet. Recent performances include three critically acclaimed world premieres, Jack Perla's An American Dream for Seattle Opera and John Astachio's Ours for Opera on the Avalon and Christophe Pastor's Dracula for West Australian Ballet. 2023 includes Jack Heggie's Three Decembers with Opera on the Avalon, a debut with Opera Omaha with Swear Angelica, Madama Butterfly with New Orleans Opera, and a return to Saskatoon Symphony for three programs, opening its 92nd season with the Canadian premiere of Gipps Symphony No. 2, Forsyth's Viola Concerto, and a world premiere of an SSO commission by Christos Hatzis. Welcome, Judith. It's so good to have you here today. How are you doing? Fantastic. Thank you. So wonderful to have you here to be able to chat with you and talk about some music. So can you tell us a bit more about yourself and what led you down the path of being a musician? I've been asking all of my guests this just so that I can get, we can get that superhero origin story. You know, where did they come from? How did we start? How did you get into the career of being a musician? Oh my goodness. Uh, I'll try my best, Olivia. That's actually a very good question. Though the longer I'm in the profession, the more complicated the answer becomes somehow. <laughs> so, so the immediate answer is that uh, music just came easily. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, believe me, uh, there, there are so many things that I have no aptitude for, right? Absolutely. But for some reason, music was, uh, was easy. Um, my parents put me in piano when I was six. And by by age seven, I I could play almost anything I hear, fully formed and harmonized. And to this day, I I still can't I can't tell anyone how that's done or how you gain the ability just to to hear the music immediately, feel it in my hands. And again, there are many things I can't do, but that's my one parlor trick. <laughs> um, and and I, I agree, like it's maybe not so unusual for an adult, but like for a seven year old who. Uh, hasn't had any theory and harmony instructions yet. I mean, it was a little odd. It's normal that if there's something that's easy and fun for you, you just tend to keep doing it. Of course. So, so that's the immediate answer. But as I mentioned earlier, like the longer you're in a profession, the more complex the reason becomes of why you stay in the profession for so long. Uh, so my family actually immigrated to Canada from Hong Kong when I was nine. And before we settled out in Canada, 
my parents thought it'd be awesome just to spend a month like traveling throughout Europe. So we went to the UK, France, Italy, Switzerland, Holland, I think Germany, and oh, and even Monaco. I remember my parents tried to to, to bring me into the casino, but <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that didn't go very well. Uh, uh, but of course, like in each of these countries, you know, they had their own language and their own customs. But uh, as a child, I, I realized that despite all the differences um, that we encounter every few days, music uh, was actually the common language at, at the risk of sounding like I'm writing a grant. Uh, but And that music actually was the Tower of Babel, or maybe more accurately, the pre-Tower of Babel. So yeah. as human beings, we, we, we so desire communication and and that split moment when you realize you've discovered this kind of magical common language is it's even for uh, a nine-year-old, it's, it's, it's quite seductive and, and engaging. Um, so I, I, I owe it to my parents, too, uh, for all this. Probably didn't think so when I was younger, but they were very exciting people who really believed in making the most of our time on Earth. Of course, I realize that now. Uh, my parents, uh, they were, you know, relatively you know, modestly successful in Hong Kong, you know, comfortable, but they they, really, but they wanted to, for some reason, to leave all that comfort and explore the world. I, I guess when one moves one's life from the far east, you know, to the far west, like it's so different that it's like gaining another lifetime. And when they moved to Canada, they, they really embraced everything that was North American and Western. And I guess for me, it wasn't until recently that I realized uh, subconsciously my whole life, I've tried to accomplish that goal of assimilation into this new culture. And I did it by choosing a distinctively Western career in a European art form and, and a difficult but fun profession where the probability of you know, like a predictable progression and easy success uh, uh, are quite low. So I guess I chose music because I wanted to have uh, as colorful a life as I could. That's a great answer. <laughs> I love it's... that. And you're right in that being a conductor, there's not this sort of easy step pattern where it's like, you know, you can work your way up in the company, so to speak. Yeah. And, and, and as a conductor, there are so many varied forms that it can take. It can be orchestral. It can be more wind ensembles. It can yes. be, you know, there's just so many directions it can go. Yes, ab absolutely. Yeah, I think that's what makes it so exciting. You, you don't know what the next page is going to be. For sure, for sure. <laughs> so you're, you are a renowned orchestral conductor. Can you let us know? Like, let us into the preparation of a score. When you agree to conduct a concert or ballet, what is the first thing you do to prepare for the performance? You're very kind to say that I'm renowned. Really, I, I'm a hired gun. I, I, can, I do what I'm told. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm lucky that I work and, and that I can work in something that I really, I love so much. Uh, so to answer your question, I think, I think every project has its specific needs. Like, Every project is different, and and also every different every organization is different. You've got different relationship with you know each organization. There's different personnel, so you know have I been there before? You know has the company performed the work before? And if yes, was it ten years ago? Is it a revival? You know from two years ago? Is it a world premiere? So all these things factor into uh, how one might prepare for a performance. Mm -hmm. uh, but in general, the 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 preparation is different for ballet symphony. Or opera, 
So for ballet, first I learned the choreography and I put the choreography onto the score itself. And in, in ballet, it's often at least six to 15 performances in each run with a different cast of principal dancers. So once I arrive at the company, I've, I find out how each dancer approaches their variation, you know, their pas de deux, and really like how each of them move. You know, some of them turn faster, some of them jump uh, higher, so it might take longer for them to land because bodies are different and could be the same choreography, but everybody's approach also is is different. So I actually play the piano at rehearsals. Okay. Yeah, which uh, with some company is is shocking to them. Uh, but but you know, if you play for them, you you really feel the way they each dancer reacts to the music. Certainly. Um, I I still remember it was uh, in it was in Warsaw uh, Polish National Ballet. And it was the Polish premiere of uh, Krankel's Taming of the Shrew. And so the score is complicated. The, the choreography is difficult. So I just sat down at the piano and I started to play. And the dancers, they stopped and they pointed and said, the conductor is playing. <laughs> so, so, so I go, oh, I, I guess, you, you know, that doesn't happen often. But I, I prefer to do that. Mm-hmm. It also, it's a way to build trust, you know. Because how, how do they know exactly how you make your music, you know, uh, what your principal instrument is? So so that's ballet. Um, in opera, it's a luxury, I feel, and I try to make this happen all uh, as much as possible. I like to meet the directors beforehand. And as a matter of fact, I have three days of meetings next month with the director of Madame Butterfly. So we're going to get together and we're going to talk through every single measure of the music and how we feel, you know, about, you know, the story, which is personal and complicated and at times I guess today controversial mm-hmm. um and but with uh Gluck's Orfeo uh, which I recently conducted I I met the entire design team a few months beforehand so I got to see what the set looked like what the costumes are like and 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 with the wonderful director Kelly Kitchens we talked for hours again like through the entire score and this was months before we started staging Mm -hmm. and and that was invaluable because what we see on stage um will influence what we hear um so i look forward to doing that with both swangelica and madame butterfly uh, in the next few months ahead of you know arriving at the companies but of course throughout all the preparation like you know you're focused on the music that's for sure but i'm also interested in the history and the circumstances surrounding the composition in symphony besides the notes itself I, i'm fascinated by the history of the work uh, why it was written and and by whom like like what kind of person uh, wrote this wrote this work and what was happening in their lives at the time so for example uh take the opening concert uh, yes. for Saskatoon Symphony. Uh, we'll, you know, we're going to premiere Christophe Hassis's Up to Her Waist in Lupins, and it's a work commissioned by the orchestra in memory of Randy Nelson, their recently departed mm-hmm. former uh, principal flautist, uh, who, who served that position uh, for over 40 years. It's, it's an incredible feat. Yeah. Um, she's, you know, so missed in the city. Yes. I have never had the privilege of meeting her, but talking to everyone, she and her husband were so loved and they always created a sense of family uh, with everyone they meet. And and that is um, something very rare and wonderful. 
Um, so last week, Christos and I met, and we uh, talked for quite a while about many aspects of this work. Um, and it's really a gift to be able to do this. It's like one of those, like, if you could have dinner with anyone in history, who would it be? <laughs> and my answer would always be to have dinner with the composer of any work that I'm about to do. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Um, and also this uh, Friday with technology, like with Zoom, I, I am going to meet the two soloists of the concert. So uh, floatist Allison Miller and violist Ryan Davis and talk about, you know, their work, their interpretation, how they feel everything about, you know, what does this line make you feel and what do you need here? So yeah, that, that's uh, preparations. For those who may not know, what does practice look like for a conductor? You've talked about preparation of the score and, you know, coordinating mm -hmm. with directors and with soloists. You don't necessarily get to prepare with a group for a long period of time. Usually it's just a few rehearsals before a performance, especially when you're a, a guest conductor, right? Mm -hmm. And so what does practice look like when your instrument, which is your body, is not necessarily making sound? Well, I, I'm uh, lucky because I'm a pianist by training. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's like having the whole universe, you know, right there, right there. I'm biased, but yes. yes. Yeah. yeah, I know. I agree with you. <laughs> so I, I think the first preparation is in your mind mm -hmm. and at the piano. And once that preliminary preparation is done, where uh, I would say a flexible framework is set, um, if possible, I, you know, I, I like I mentioned before, I meet with the composers and the artistic partners. Mm -hmm. And I say flexible framework, because once you meet with these partners, it everything just changes, yes. right? Yeah. yeah, even if it's really subtle. I think that's a very important part of the preparation. Um, then I consider the organization. Have we worked together before? Mm -hmm. uh, what exactly is the rehearsal period? Is it a new work? Have they just performed it? And if it's all new works like the opening concert, I, I structure the um, rehearsal process in a very different way. Um, but most of the time, I try to get through the entire program in the first rehearsal so everyone knows what we're dealing with. Yeah. You see what kind of shape it's in before it's adjusted. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes things that you think is going to be a problem is not a problem at all. And things that you think is just going to fly by, there are issues. It's wonderful. We're not dealing with machines and you know, <laughs> or anything. We're dealing with real life human beings and professional and personal lives. And it always in a in a good way, uh, even when, you know, circumstances are not always positive, it always in a good way brings something special to each rehearsal process. You know, it's it's so nuanced. It's so flexible. And even if you're performing the same work, um, I'm a choir person myself. Yes. So it's, you know, conducting a small community choir versus conducting a professional choir versus yes. a kid's choir. Those three groups are going to sing the music yes. differently. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so your approach to it's going to be different as well. So I, I would assume that it's the exact same with orchestral work. And Yes. Yes. Uh, and I, I've had experiences where um, you wonder why uh, your soloist sounds so different um, this time as opposed to last time or uh, uh, one of your musicians has a different timbre and then you discover later that perhaps something very joyful happened in their life mm -hmm. or or the music reminded them some of someone who, who was very dear dear to them 
um, who, you know, just it's, 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 it's wonderful. This yeah. spontaneity. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> what work is always an immediate yes. When you're asked. <laughs> okay. I, let's see. As far as ballets, uh, of course I love all Tchaikovsky ballets. So they're fun, right? They're amazing and they're challenging to do well because they require very precise technique, um, conducting technique because of, you know, all the phrasing and tempo are different for each dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like the ultimate video game, really. I mean, you're watching the stage, anything can happen. Um, while, you know, the orchestra, you're conducting the orchestra and, and you need to turn on a dime if something different happens. Ballet in general is difficult because you have to accommodate the choreography while at the same time respect, you know, make sure the music, the integrity of the music is still there. Um, but for pure ecstasy and sound and storytelling, I, I have to say Prokofiev, Romeo and Juliet and Cinderella. Um, yes, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I, I think Prokofiev's use of color and tonality um, is so special because it speaks more of the truth of human nature mm. and and I'm, by that, I mean, it's, it's you know, that, that human nature is complicated, you know, it can be dark, you know, yet hopeful. And, and unlike most ballet music, it's rarely, like, life is rarely in a square four bar phrase, right? And <laughs> so so I, I think that's why people love uh, the, the Prokofiev uh, ballet music uh, equally, Um Take, for example, uh, Romeo and Juliet, the balcony predator. Uh, he's absolutely brilliant, right? So you could hear the bravado of Romeo, uh, yet the hesitancy, you know, when he does that first diagonal towards Juliet when she's up at the balcony. And it's definitely, it's not a phrase of eight. It's, the phrase just continues and it's not square because I think, you know, Prokofiev writes the way we feel. So when you are, say, uttering your first declaration of love or the first realization of your feelings, it's, it's kind of awkward, right? It's sort of yes. improvised, you know, you're searching for words and all of a sudden there's a sudden outburst of articulated, like you're articulated yes. all of a sudden. So yeah, definitely not in square couplets, just mm-hmm. saying, right? And I, I think his, uh, Kofi's depiction of youth and honesty and passion is so uncontrived and natural. It's like speech. I, I think that's why. Even though you may not necessarily be able to hum all his tunes when you leave the opera house, like there is a familiarity you feel right when you listen to his music. Certainly. And in Cinderella, which I find even more beautiful than Romeo, even though it's less well known, um, uh, no one does a better and more devastating stroke of midnight than Prokofiev. <laughs> like, you know, your, your, your standard composer may just have, you know, a percussion notes, you know, yep. ring the bell 12 times, you know, ring it beautifully, of course, but it would just be a bell. But Prokofiev has that and the horror of the moment, right? Yes. This terrifying animalistic downward scale playing, you know, by the strings, you know, the brass and the winds. I mean, it, that music is the stuff that you know beautiful nightmares are made of yes. and it's so terrifying and wonderful right awe-inspiring and then in the final scene of Cinderella the wedding you know is so sublime it's full of happiness and forgiveness and pathos you know over the events that happen that I think in my career I've only had two moments where I'm doing the performance and the music nearly moves me to tears <laughs> and 
And I remember so acutely, it was Cinderella. I even remember it was National Ballet of Canada. It was Nehemiah Kish as the prince and Heather Ogden as the princess. Uh, sorry, as Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And I remember that moment so well. And and I'm thinking, okay, just just be a professional, hold it together, right? So <laughs> because you know you got the gorgeous that you know, choreography and the beautiful music and you know this these two colleagues that I I have such great respect for so yeah yeah Romeo and Juliet and Cinderella I would never say no to those works I love that and I loved hearing you and really any musician just describe those concerts that almost they were just those memory makers like it was the I had a teacher call it the something special yeah. it was like when just the magic was there Yes. And, and you have this, this musical moment that wow. you remember forever because it was just that special and it was, yeah. you had to be there moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you're not sure if the audience has disappeared or if you're have a heightened awareness of the audience. Yeah. It's very, very special. That's something it's- special that, that moment. I love, I love hearing musicians talk about that. Um, yeah. Do you have any works that are on your wish list to conduct? Uh, Every musician must have a wish list, right? Oh, you ask wonderful and difficult questions. Um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've loved every work I've ever conducted um, yes. down to the, you know, numerous Johann Strauss waltzes, etc. <laughs> that I had to do for every single New Year's concert I've ever done, which I actually love doing. Yes, um, yeah. I, I recently I had the for just for the fun of it, I tallied up the number of different operas I've done, I've conducted. So mm-hmm. 26 different operas, 31 different ballets. Wow. And, and I, I haven't countless so symphonies far. for sure. <laughs> I, guess, I, I didn't I didn't go there. Um, so I'm, I, I'm so lucky because those mm-hmm. were all the works I grew up loving. And as a younger musician, wishing that I might one day have the chance to conduct and there are works actually that I would like very much to revisit, and and actually I get to do it this season. So, uh, Puccini's Swan Angelica, uh, Madame Butterfly in 2023, and also in 2023 for Saskatoon Symphony, this this program uh, of uh, wonderful program Wagner and Copland, and just so dear to me. Oh, yeah. wonderful! Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm going to yeah. shift my questions a little bit. I'm curious about how your job has shifted during the pandemic. How did you or did you not find alternative ways to make music when our usual streams, tours and concerts were Uh, not available? Oh, wow. Um, So I I think uh, the pandemic made all of us in this business kind of well panic (laughs) because we had no idea how or when we were getting out of it um, at the time. Surely, I'm. We're still, you know, going through that now. Yeah. Um, however, uh, it, for me, it was a brilliant chance to digest what I've learned um, over two very lucky decades of of engagements. You know, like I was lucky. Uh, I don't know how it happened, just one after the next. So, so in in this business, we always just you take the engagements as they come because who knows what ha- might happen next year. Exactly, and, and I guess. In our recent case, the, the pandemic happened. So, um, you know, as I said, I finally got a bit of time to, to digest everything I've learned. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, with an athlete, you, you let your muscles rebuild, you know. Yeah. And so I I was also very lucky that I did travel and work during the pandemic. 
uh, conducted a production at Don Quixote in Hong Kong uh, with the ballet in October of 2020, which is right in the thick of the unknown. Yes. Yeah. And it was all our precautions were invented and experimented on Certainly. because we, I think we were one of the first to there to to try this and the contortions we all had to go through you know we the risks we had to take the sacrifices but we somehow we did it right so we managed without derailing the production by anyone testing positive and and that's a lot of people because it's you're estimating 50 people on stage you know 50 in the pit you know uh 50 backstage and including you know with the administration i mean all that so at that time even if a single person catches the virus everything would have stopped the entire complex would have had to be sanitized and the production would have more likely than not been canceled right. uh, so that's a lot of investment um that would have disappeared um but I, I also got to work at the time with Saskatoon Symphony for the first time and with their wonderful and very creative CEO, Mark Turner. Oh, my goodness. He's the best. Yeah, he is the best. <laughs> and there was just something about that experience that just kind of clicked. Right? I, I love the energy, the creativity, you know, the careful risk taking of this orchestra. And of course, you know, the superb musicianship of uh, my SSO colleagues. Mm -hmm. So we put together this program that would have never happened. Uh, if it were not for the limitations the world put upon us, you know, like limitations of numbers, choice of repertoire, and also there was no live audience, and it all it was all um, presented by live video stream, feed, yeah. yeah, stream filmed by the very talented Simeon Taylor, mm -hmm. and so I have to say I an admire and fan of Mark Turner and SSO because it takes it doesn't take just guts, right, but skill and ingenuity to have accomplished what they did, like right from the start of the pandemic, when a lot of other organizations were just shutting down. Yeah. Um, and Hong Kong Ballet as well, they just went for it, you know, without a, uh, that much of a reduction in human power or quality of the production at all. Um, they, you know, they could have used a recording, but they chose to keep the live orchestral accompaniment. By the time we start, we did on cue, the company, I think, hadn't been able to perform for a while. So for That's all great. of us, it was like the first time, like, we were nervous again, yeah. which was kind of exciting <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to feel that, you know, the the nerves of the start of your career. And the wonderful artistic director, Septim Weber, he was great. You know, he, he every evening he walked on stage, he thanked the audience, he thanked everybody. He said how special this was. And in a funny way, by listening to him, it gave us this a different sense of purpose of why we were doing what we were doing. So that that was very special. I think we had to work harder and with the limitations and restrictions uh, in order to bring this art form to the audience, it, also to create some sense of normalcy for the community and for the artists. Uh, there's one more company uh, that I had a wonderful experience with, in, uh, and it was in Canada, who did this as well early on. And that was Opera on the Avalon and CEO Cheryl Hickman. The company found a way to keep, you know, everyone employed. And in 2021, we put together a concert involving, I can't believe we did this, 33 numbers and 22 guest artists. Oh, my goodness. I know. It was like we it's packaged. Fantastic. I know. It was nuts. We talk about it. We still laugh about it to this day. We can't believe it. Uh, it was like we packaged everything that we missed in two years into one evening. So I think, you know, Cheryl, like Mark Turner and Septim in Hong Kong, they all took 
careful and calculated gambles and and in my opinion they they won they really did yes they did yeah. successfully yeah. for sure yeah you know because not, not only did they provide content for the audience but they did so much for the emotional and psychological health of my colleagues and me by mm -hmm. giving us a chance to do what we as artists need to do yes exactly the ability to create and you're conducting some fantastic works with the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra this year. Um, can you tell us about the new work by Hatsis uh, that Alison Miller is performing? We just had her on the podcast talking about it. Now, how do you prepare a work that's never been premiered or recorded before? Is it different or is it the same? It's different and the same. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, but the fantastic thing about a never premiered work in this case anyway is that you get to work with the creator of the work yeah. who will also be there at the rehearsals and the premiere and that is such a gift uh Wonderful. for all of us and we we talked for over an hour about every measure of this new work of his like we, we taught and he, he talked about the golden means a perfect interval and how and why he featured it in the opening measures of the work and and we we also talked about specific details exactly how to use dynamics and articulation to create a particular effect and we also talked about the meaning of the solo flute entrance um and the reason behind it is so personal and so moving that i don't feel i should be the one to disclose it, <laughs> <laughs> it it's yeah is very, very special work. Yes. That's great that you were able to, to chat with the, the composer because you gained so much insight, you know, oh, how I wish some of the music that I'm preparing. It's like, if I could just talk with Florence Price to see what, you know, what was going on in her mind, you know, we, we don't get to do that with historical composers. And no. so it's, you always want to jump at the chance to be able to do that with a living composer. Yes, absolutely. I know with the Ruth Gibbs, like I, I, I'm about to, you know, try and see if I can talk to her son, like oh. anyone, like a relative yeah. to find out, you know. Can you tell us more about the Ruth Gibbs work that um, you're doing? It's a Canadian premiere. Mm -hmm. And is it one that you've conducted before? Or is it a first for you? It's a first for me. I've never conducted this wonderful symphony, and and uh, it's an honor to be a part of the Canadian premiere of this absolutely gorgeous work. Um, it was written in 1945 uh, by English composer Ruth Gibbs, and you know, there's no other way really to dis describe the symphony but as <laughs> ravishingly beautiful. It's gorgeous, it's gorgeous, and like I uh, like Christoph Hassis's, uh premiere it's it's extremely personal mm -hmm. and i i'm always interested in what's happening at the time in history right my my and in my initial contact with the work without knowing anything about it uh, i chose this time to not know anything or anything about the composer i looked at it and i'm listening to it and i think wow i, I can see the english landscape at the opening the tranquility of daily life and then all of a sudden like maybe about quarter way through there there's the you can hear the strength of the british empire at, at the early 1900s come through in this incredible vibrant brass passage and then as soon as that comes it almost immediately you hear you hear uh military drums um yeah. with piccolo coming from a distance and at first it sounds so innocent you know like like it could be a marching band mm -hmm. but then layer and layer 
of orchestral instruments joining in and it begins to, and it can, I guess it depends on how you play it, um, begin to have these sort of violent tonalities uh, of uh, active warfare. But then it suddenly collapsed into utter despair with um, this scornful adagio. But that doesn't last long as well, right? The tempo then picks up again, and you can almost hear people running towards each other like a long-awaited reunion. I don't know. So, the, And then the last five minutes of the symphony makes me think of London today, you know, the mix of old architecture with surging glass buildings of the future, uh, even though I know those glass buildings didn't exist in 1945. Yeah. And then... But then you then you look at the date when it was written, and it was written 1945, so it all makes sense. Yeah, it really paints a picture. I remember when I heard it for the first time. I was, oh, yes, you know, it just yeah. sets the scene absolutely. Yes. Um, well, one musician I really admire once told me that being a musician means that you can never do just one thing. Do you find it challenging to balance all the hats of being a musician um, and how you you know? You're, you're doing a ballet one month and then you're doing an opera or you're doing a symphony. Do you find that challenging or exhilarating or maybe both? <laughs> oh, I, I find that exhilarating. I think at the beginning of my career, people would say, well, what exactly are you? Like you, <laughs> are you, are you a ballet con uh, conductor? Are you an opera conductor? Are you um, a symphony conductor? just choose one because you know we, we really don't know how to market you and I somehow I, yeah okay okay I would say yeah sure <laughs> but I somehow resisted and for a long time um, each of my season was like clearly one-third symphony one-third ballet one-third opera and I love it because it's like cross-training right right yeah because yeah, each of these uh, mediums have a very different um you need to approach it differently. Mm -hmm. So then you could take, with ballet, you learn how to be consistent. Whether you want to or not, you develop a good conducting technique because you change direction very quickly. With opera, you learn how to tell a story, how to weave narrative. But without working on symphony, which is more dealing with sound, if you do a lot of symphony, you could bring those skills, which is purely sound at times, to ballet and to opera. And yet, if you only do symphony that, and don't do ballet or opera, you miss out on creating the subconscious narrative, which as human beings, I think we love stories and mm -hmm. we need a beginning, act one, act two, and act three, whether we admit it or not. Sometimes it can be missing in a symphony concert. Right. So I don't mind wearing these different hats. Wearing all the hats. So what's getting you excited in your musical life right now? What are you enjoying? Oh, oh, wow. Right now, I, I, I'm just so excited uh, to see our industries coming back to life. That is so wonderful. I'm excited about the 22-23 season. There, so I will uh, be three symphony programs with SSO, two of my favorite Puccini operas, and then also a world premiere of an opera by Laura Kaminsky. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited that we're all getting back you know, slowly. I think also what I love the most, as much as the work itself or the people that we get to meet when we do these things, and it's, and we get to meet them and create this sort of temporary alternate universe yes. that we all inhabit in, right, in that time. So, and in less than two weeks, I get to do exactly that with Allison and Ryan and Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra. 
That's so great. Well, it's been such a pleasure getting to chat with you. We're going to wrap up our chat with a few rapid fire questions. There are no wrong answers. Just go with your gut. But can you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician? I was really young and from my hand orchestra and someone dared me to conduct Brahms one. And I, I don't know, I did it. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's called ignorance, right? You have no idea. <laughs> So everything just turns out. <laughs> and oh, and also, <laughs> there was another moment where I went to see a rehearsal of uh, Poem uh, with Richard Bradshaw at uh, Canadian Opera Company. And I was at the rehearsal and he turned around. It was a staging rehearsal. And he said, do you want to conduct? And I, I thought, if I say no, I'll never get a chance to work for him. And I really want to work for him. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I went and conducted act one of Bohem in rehearsal I mean oh my goodness like you know the things you do when you don't think yeah. <laughs> the when you, you go with your gut down. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh do you have a favorite piece or symphony to conduct no no I can't no no can't pick I love favorite. them all yes nope. <laughs> uh have you ever been given bad career advice and what was it <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> and well-meaning advice, but not good. Uh, and my answer uh, might not be that well-received today. So it's a warning. Okay. So, okay. Here's a bad career advice I got. Airing your opinion when it's on your job description. <laughs> <laughs> um, any industry, you know, th- not just music. I mean, everything, you know, like mm-hmm. farming, anything is 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 complicated and and there are so many moving parts that when you first start in the business, you can't possibly see all the subtleties until you experience it firsthand. So I'm sure for many years, I was really annoying to my bosses <laughs> until I finally learned to say nothing unless yeah. I was asked. <laughs> uh, what's the best musical or career advice you can pass on to up and coming musicians? Oh. Okay, there's no job that's too big and no job that's small, too small at all. I would take every opportunity that comes your way and just really enjoy it. Um, I had the best advice actually was from Simone Young many years ago. I had the chance to assist her in Hamburg for a concert with uh, this incredible soprano, Angela Donoka. And But at the same time, I was also offered a chance to do the Nossa de Figaro in San Francisco. So it would be my first, right? And so, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. So I asked her, I said, you know, what should I do? I can really want to work for you. And and anyway, you know, what do I know about the intricacies of human relationships that's depicted in this Mozart masterpiece? I'm too young. And she said, well, you can always assist me another time, but take this opportunity to experience this masterpiece when you're young. Mm-hmm. Like get that first production over with subtext you're going to mess up <laughs> so that so that when it's your fourth production of not say you'll you'll have a better understanding of it so she was right so by, by the time I got to my third production of this work which was 10 years later I finally had a clear idea of how to do it that's great that's great advice <laughs> absolutely nothing's too big nothing's too small uh yeah. what music are you listening to right now oh okay um Nina Simone I always listen to her. Oh. I oh my gosh, her, you know her 
diction, the honesty, mm-hmm. you know, in, in her music making. Um, and let's see, what did I have on yesterday? Wagner, Tristan, Undisolde. And also, I, I have an Italian friend who's born in, has always lived in Italy. And I actually, over, over there, I actually recorded her speaking the text of the two Puccini operas I'm conducting oh, in 2023. Because I think to conduct opera, you know, you strive to understand in your soul, like the words that you see, right? As, as me, because I'm not a singer, I, I'm, I'm seeing these words. But what you hear is, is actually on a separate level. Um, there's a subtlety and color in the speech of a person that who is, you know, that's native to their language. Absolutely. So along with Nina Simone and Wagner, I'm also listening to her. <laughs> that's great. I love that. Well, thanks so much for coming on loud and clear. I will have links to all the music and the things we've referenced in the show notes. And if you're in the Saskatoon area, I encourage you to see Judith live and in action, the season opener for season 92. And thanks so much. I hope to have you on again. This was great. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And there you have it. That's my interview with Judith Yan. She was such a delight to talk to. And I think that you will really enjoy the performances that the SSO has to offer. As always, the show notes are available on my website at oamusicstudios.ca, and you'll find all of the links that we referred to in the podcast. Thank you to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra for sponsoring this podcast. Make sure you head over to saskatoonsymphony.org to purchase tickets for upcoming shows. And if you don't live in the Saskatoon area, you can watch these shows via concert stream by following the link at the top of the website. I'm your host, Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear, and you can find me at OA Music Studios on socials. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.